0: to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. He was the worshipped angel. He was the angel that led worship. And according to Ezekiel and Isaiah, it was a pretty good, pretty good band he had going in heaven. And he got, he got this close to the throne. He really, really did. And pride got in his heart and lifted him up. And he exclaimed, seven I wills, what he would do with himself. And he would exalt himself above the throne of Almighty God. But when he was this close to, to God, when there wasn't a devil, he failed. He failed. He failed. So today in your life, he wants you to feel like a failure. He really does because he failed and he was kicked out of heaven so he has a fallen spirit so he wants you to feel like you've fallen and you can't get up. When he got kicked out of heaven he was separated from God so he wants you to feel like you're separated from God today. And when he was kicked out there's no hope left for him so he wants you to feel like there's no hope. There's four things that hell wants you to feel like every time you get up in the morning. He wants you to feel like you're separated, you have fallen, you you, you can't get back to God and you are away from his presence. And, and that's what he does. And so when those kind of feelings come on you, yeah, what you need to do is say, listen, I know, about, I know about my past, myself, I know about that, but let me tell you about your future. I'm going to be able to get back to the presence of God. I'll be able to stand back up again. I'll be able to rejoin myself with him, but you are finished. You are a finished entity. So we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Now, speaking of that, speaking of that, our horns got beat last night. So, in fact, they got woodshedded last night. <laughs> they got taken to the woodshed last night. They really did. They got wore, slapped out by those Mormon boys out there in Provo. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> those Mormon boys. <laughs> and uh, 70% of their team is married, so they must have had wives that go out there and beat those horns or something. I don't know. But anyhow, those boys wore us out last night. So, we're not going to think about that today. We're not going to dwell on that today. You hear me? Look at your neighbor and say, it's over. (laughs) Horns will be six and six and we'll be happy. We bought the hype again and it doesn't work. And once again, let me tell you something else. Tonight, tonight, when the Dallas Cowboys get beat by the New York Giants, don't you get up in the morning. Oh, there's anarchy. Don't you get up in the morning. I'm a cowboy fan, but don't you get up in the morning saying, oh, God. Jerry did us in again because really, 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 it's probably going to (laughs) happen. You know it and I know it, but faith says, hope says, mm, angst says, they're going to win. Maybe eight and eight, maybe. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your thumb up like this for the Lord. Put your thumb up like this for the Lord and say, gig them. I never thought, y'all going to ship me off to College Station make me pastor over there. (laughs) I probably could start an extension work over there and build a great church, tell them, gig them over there, you know. But we're going to forget it. We're going to move on because this is about the Lord. It's the Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Yay for Bowie. Yay for Westlake. Yay for Lake Travis. Yay for Manor. Yay for all Austin High. Yay for all the teams that our boys play for, even the little boys that play peewee ball, yay for all of them, win, lose, or draw. We love our kids. We love our young people. Let's clap our hands and say yes, yes, yes about all that. Amen. Amen. If I wasn't such a sports person, I wouldn't even bring that up. But I I don't want you to dwell on that. We're going to have a great day today. It's going to be a great day today. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. If this is your first time, we welcome you. We welcome you to Christian Life Church. And we've got some, we probably have some college students or kids that are coming to University of Texas and maybe you're here for the first time today and we've got, we've got some great, great college kids. Our young people right now are meeting upstairs. They have their own image group on the first Sunday of every month. But last week was a, was a Labor Day weekend, so we've let them meet this week. Brad put it off till this week. And so uh, our kids are meeting upstairs, but we love our young people. Let's give our young people a great hand upstairs, our image group. Amen. Two things, two things I want to tell you about. Number one is our marriage retreat. Everybody say marriage retreat. September 18th, 19th. Everybody say September 18th, September 19th. October 18th, October 19th. Forgive me, forgive me. See, I don't make announcements. All right, October, October 18th, October 19th. Everybody say we need to go. Oh, that's weak. (laughs) That's weak. Sun tea's stronger than that. Everybody say we need to go. I want the wife to punch the husband and say, I'm going to sign you up and you're coming with me. Say it right now because women want to go to that. My wife and I are going to go. We need help. We need help. I need to love my wife more than I ever loved her in my life. We need help. And I want to love my wife. We're not having problems. My wife, I don't think, has ever raised her voice to me. And the only time I really ever raised my voice was at the dog one day. And my girls jumped sideways saying, Daddy, we've never heard you holler so loud. That dog got on my nerves. And I hollered at that dog. She's on in that dog place wherever that is right now, but I don't have to holler at her anymore. But I hollered at that dog. But we need to make it a vital part of our life. Hey, guys, if you got enough money to spend on a hunting lease, if you got enough money later to go to the mall, if you got enough money to do things that you want to do, you need to spend 100 bucks and 25 extra to go to a marriage retreat. Amen. <laughs> hey, clap your hands. You need to do that. Pastor's telling you that you need to do that. And the second thing... And wives, you need to help me out. We're having men's Bible study for six weeks starting tomorrow night. 6.30, we'll feed you good. We'll put some good food in you. We already know what the menu is tomorrow night. We're not going to tell you it's a surprise, nothing we've ever had before. Tomorrow night, you'll have something you've never had before at men's Bible study. We'll feed you, and then we'll feed you. We're talking about every man's battle. We're talking about sexual purity. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about lust. We're talking about things that men deal with. Wife, punch your husband and say, you're going. You're going to that. Amen. You're going to that. You're going to that because I want your eyes to be on me only. <laughs> Amen. That's the way it works. So nobody's embarrassed about that. We're going to talk straight tomorrow night. It's going to be a wonderful evening, and uh, you'll get out in plenty of time to see the last half of the Redskin Eagle game and all of the Houston Texan games. So if you're a Houston Texan fan, it doesn't even kick off till 920. I know the schedule. <laughs> so don't pull the schedule on me. I know the schedule. See, I check things like that. You come on to Men's Bible Study, and then we'll go. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people. I'm going to preach to you a little bit here today. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about heart for the house today. Heart for the house. Say heart, heart. For, the house. for the house. You believe that? Yeah. You believe we can have a heart for God's house? I believe that with everything that's in me. Turn to someone and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. I'm going to help the pastor today, and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. I just want you to stand to get your blood flowing one more time heart for the house won't be lengthy today i would appreciate you staying with me and listen to the words of the lord today through the pastor i'm going to use words like house of god and church interchangeably because in the old testament the house of god was not was called god's church and in the new testament it was called the church or the ecclesia the called out ones the church if you're a follower of jesus christ I appreciate that. But if you're not a follower, I hope you're on your way to making the greatest decision today even that you can make in your life. But if you are a Christ follower, the first point I'm going to get to quickly. I want to encourage you to see Jesus in his church and to serve Jesus through his church. I want to encourage you to see Jesus in his church and to serve Jesus through his church. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. And normally I use the NIV. It's a very modern version of the Bible. But today I want to use a message version of verse 20 through 23. It says, all this energy issues from Christ. Listen to this. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. And everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt his rule from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Say amen. Amen. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, his eyes are on the church, not the world. The world is peripheral. The church is in his focus. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Are you glad his presence is here today? Are you glad his presence is here? So there's two things I want to say right off the bat. Number one, you must see Jesus in the church. We sometimes look at the people that come to church, and because those people are imperfect, and there are differences in our lives and their lives, we forget that Jesus is still at the center of the church because the church is Christ's body. See, when Jesus lived on earth, folks, he hung out with a lot of problematic people. He touched lepers that nobody else would even go around. He raised the dead, one that corruption had already set in with. He surrounded himself with imperfect people. But that didn't change who Jesus was. He was deity wrapped in and surrounded by flesh. And if you're looking at who is around him, you could have underestimated and misunderstood who he was and what God's purpose in him was. Same with the church. If you just look at the people, they're imperfect. There's elements of commonness in the church. And because we look at that, you might, might miss Jesus in the church. Jesus is in his church. The church is imperfect, but it's still his church. The attitude of the church in Revelation is very simple. Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3 are beautiful, beautiful chapters. It talks about the seven churches of Asia. And every one of them had some situations. Five out of seven had things that they had to repent or perish of. But they all had situations in their lives. There was false doctrines that were there, Balaam's doctrine, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and all the things that were in the church. And there was compromised spirits. The spirit of Jezebel was there. She wanted to compromise them to worship the God of the earth. And then there were literal devils. There were literal devils. So there were four really dangerous attitudes and spirits lurking in the church. Yet the Bible said the Lord was still walking among the candlesticks. Here's what I want to tell you. A devil will not drive Jesus' presence out of this church. A little spirit of compromise in somebody won't drive the Spirit of God out of this church. Amen. A spirit of false doctrine will not drive the Lord out of his church. I'm here to tell you, the power of God, he purchased this with his own blood. He shed his blood for it, and it is his church today. Say amen to that. Do not confuse people in the church with the purpose of the church. People have problems. Jesus' church is on its way to heaven. The church, like Christ, is at the center of the purpose of God. He loves his church. His heart is in his church. His hope is in his church. Because we see Jesus in the church. It doesn't matter what happens all around the world. When you come into the presence of God, this church was not made by him. It was purchased by him. It's the only thing he purchased. He made everything else, but he bought this church with his own blood. And when I tell you, when somebody puts their blood in it, they are in this place, lock, stock, and barrel. And we magnify the Jesus That is in this church today. Amen. Amen. We must see Jesus in the church. And number two, we must serve Jesus through his church. That's two things we have to do. That's the makings of my first point. One thing we can all do is be aligned with Jesus. Is to be busy building up the church. Everybody say building up. Not tearing down. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus told Simon, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a soft sell for hell. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I don't know what your particular gifting may be or what kind of contribution you can make, but it all begins with having his heart for his house in your life. If you love this church, if you love God's house, why don't you let the maker of it, why don't you let the purchaser of it, give him a hand clap today and say, I love what I'm a part of right here, right now. Don't, don't approach God's house as a place where you just think about what you can get or what he can give you. But come with a heart to give. Come with a heart to share. Come with a voice of praise. Come with a voice of thanksgiving. Come with an offering in your soul. Come with a gift for Him because God loves people that think about His house and love His house. Don't put stipulations on only doing certain things that you enjoy doing or like to do, but be willing to do whatever you can do to serve from a heart to see God's house be magnificent and be famous and be filled with His splendor. I want to encourage you not just to serve in the church for what it is now, but also see what God sees it becoming. Let me tell you, the church is not in its finest hour now. It's going to get better the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. I've always said the church is not going out with a whimper, and it's going, not going out with a limp. It's going out with a shout. The church, the closer it gets to the coming of the Lord, the more it's going to be like the Lord. The more it's going to be like him it's going to share with him it's going to enjoy his presence even more and i want this church to be one of those churches in america and around the world that loves the presence of god and loves his presence in our life and in our heart because there is nothing as moses said like your presence the wells are fine The houses are fine. The vineyards are good. But there's nothing like your presence, Lord. We don't care what you make for us over there. We just want you to go with us when we're going there. And here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter what kind of job we have, what kind of income we have right now. That's immaterial to us right now. The main thing is that on our way, on our journey, we want your presence with us. We want your glory with us. We want your power with us. And we want to praise you every day of our life. What are you doing to build up? What are you doing to build up the kingdom of God? We invest in relationships. We invest in business. We invest in people because of what we see them becoming, not what they are. So why don't you invest in the church the same way? You see what it's becoming, not what it is right now. Because it's going to be better and better and greater and greater as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. His name was Jacob. He sold his brother some pretty good pottage, I guess, one day, some pretty good stew. And his brother sold out the birthright. Esau said, I don't want it. And Jacob said, that's fine. But then Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, had to get past dad. But dad had some bad eyes. And so Rebecca decided to make some make some good stew she decided to make some venison she decided to make because Esau was a hunter and Esau was is about time for him to come in and receive the blessing of the inheritance but he was out on another hunt because he didn't care about the things of God and Jacob cared about the things of God and so Rebecca put some put some hair on his arm and hair on his neck she put some (laughs) some deer spray on him whatever (laughs) then she put that stew in his hand she said go in and take this to your dad and he went into his father and he said dad My name is Esau, and I'm here for the inheritance. And Isaac said, You have the feel of Esau. You smell like Esau, (laughs) but you have a voice of Jacob. And he said, I am Esau. And because his dad was unable to see who he really was, and because he just went by feeling and not by the sound, he blessed that boy with that birthright. And so when Esau came and walked in and said, Father, I need you to bless me. And, and Isaac said, I can't bless you, son. I've already blessed your younger brother. I've already blessed Jacob. Esau was angry and chased after Jacob and made a vow that he would kill him. And so Jacob ran and ran as hard as he could. And he ran till he was exhausted. And he wound up in a place in Genesis called, uh, called Luz. And Luz means a dry place. It's a war out place. It's a place where you run when you're running from an enemy. You run till you run out and you can't run anymore. And he lays his head down on a rock. And during the night, he has this vision or this dream. And he sees angels ascending and descending on the ladder all the way to heaven. And he wakes up the next morning. And he makes this statement. I've got it on screen. In Genesis 28, he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And the Bible said he took out oil and he anointed that rock and he changed the name of it from Luz, a dry place, to Bethel, the house of God. Here's what I want to say to everybody right now. This is an awesome place. This is the gate of heaven. So my second point is the house of God is the gate of heaven. The closest you will ever be to heaven on this earth. Is when you come into the house of God. You know why? Because Jesus is in the house that he purchased. And you're feeling his presence right now. And the closest you'll ever get to there, here, is right here in the presence in the house of God. Would you clap your hands and rejoice to that right now? That's why we've got to have a heart for his house. See, when Jacob did what he did, this is before there were actual buildings. This is before the law came and there was no tabernacle in the wilderness. There was no houses of worship. And he refers to a place where he had experienced God. He had a one day. Let me ask you something. How many of you folks have ever had a one day in God's house? Just one of those days? Just one of those days. You know what I'm talking about. The day you got baptized. Let's talk right now. The day that the Lord saved you. The day. How many of you remember when you got the Holy Ghost in your life, huh? Let me remember that? You remember that? used to sing an old song, I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my heart rolled away. It makes me happy, glad, and free. I'll sing and shout it because he's everything to me. Anybody ever been healed one day in the house of God? Anybody ever been touched by the power of God? How many were here last Sunday and saw the little lad come up here that was blind and now he can see? You know what I'm talking about? There's something that happens one day in the house of God. How many of you had cancer and God has healed you? How many of you had heart trouble and God has healed you? How many are here right now and want God to touch you today? You can have a one day right now in this house if you'll accept the word of the Lord in your life from this pastor. A one day, a one day, a one day. He had a one day experience and that place had captured his heart. And it wouldn't be 22 years until he got back there. Because he ran. He ran from Esau. He still, had that, he still had that traitor spirit in him. Still had that cheating heart because Jacob means beguiler. He beguiled people, he cheated people. And he had to have a wrestling match at Peniel with an angel. That angel had to knock his hip out of socket. He had to walk with a limp the rest of his life. But Paul talked about it to the Corinthian church, destruction of the spirit, of the flesh, so the spirit could be saved. And Jacob had to have that, and his name was chained to Israel. No longer was he a deceiver. No longer was he a conniver. But now he was a prince with God. His name was Israel. And when he came back to Bethel that he had anointed 22 years earlier, he anointed it again, and he called it it El Bethel, which means the house or the God of the house, not just the house of God but the God of the house. He recognized that it wasn't just a house of God. It was the God of the house that mattered. And that's what we need to understand, that this place is not great because it has four walls and a pretty foundation, and it's got some beauty inside. That's not what it's about. What it's about is that we've anointed and found out that he's the God of the house of God. He's the God of the house The thing that's going to help you is not the walls and the preacher's sermon. The thing that's going to help you is the God of the house. God's house is not perfect, but it's the gate of heaven. Not everyone comes for the right reason, but it's the gate of heaven. Not everyone does the right thing in God's house, but it's the gate of heaven. It's the closest thing to heaven on earth. There's nowhere on earth like the house of God. And when the house of God is filled with people who love God. When the house of God is filled with people praising God. When the house of God is filled with people honoring God. When the house of God is filled with people setting aside our agendas. When the house of God is filled with people setting aside our troubles and focusing our hearts on Jesus. who is and Who he is and what he's done for us. There is nowhere on earth more like heaven than God's house. I will tell you it's God's house, but it's also the gate of it. Things happen in the house of God. You know things happen in the house of God that are funny that are not funny anyplace else. You know that? I was raised in old-time Pentecost, really old-time Pentecost, really old-time Pentecost. There used to be guys and ladies in our church that whirlybird danced. You know what a whirlybird dance is? I mean, they put their arms out like this, go crazy, just go round and round and round. And it didn't matter. It was wild and woolly. In fact, one time I got so scared I crawled up in a seat and said, God, help me. I am, I'm in a mess right here. I need to get out of here. But I couldn't, I couldn't escape because people were coming by me at such rapidity. And I was afraid I was going to get run over. But I saw two men one night in church, in church, both get in a whirly bird at the same time and hit each other and knock each other down both at the same time. (laughs) I saw it. I saw it. I saw a center man one time. I saw a center man one time had his zipper down and realized his zipper was down? That's a problem, you know? <laughs> and there was a woman in front of him that started to go down the front and she had to come by him, on, get out of the pew where he was and he was zipping up his pants at the same time and zipped her dress into his pants. <laughs> and when she started down the aisle, he just went after her. <laughs> I didn't tell him the first service, she turned around, she said, I'm married, sir, you can go sit down. That's funny, that's funny, that's funny. I had a pastor, I had a pastor. It it scares me to death to get up here and think, oh God, help me. I always check and make sure. (laughs) Just being real, 23 years, you can't be real now, you can't be real ever. But I had a pastor, one of the classiest guys in all of America, one of the sharpest minds that ever preached, and one of the handsomest men you'll ever see in your life. And he's 84, 85 years old now. And I still get tickled when I tell this story. Because he was preaching one night, just going at it. He's an Arab man. He was going at it, just preaching with his heart out. And his zipper was undone, and his shirt was coming out of it. (laughs) And his wife was sitting over here, and she said, I was right in front of her. She was trying to get get his attention. And she punched me. She said, Rex, tell him, tell him. I said, I'm not going to tell him. And finally he stopped. He said, what do you want, Tigger? Her name was Tigger. What do you want? She said, John, you're unzipped. Zip up. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Or like the woman, the pastor's wife that came out of the restroom and tucked her dress in the stuff. She mooned everybody and didn't know she was mooning them. That's funny stuff. It's not funny anyplace else. If you're in a bar and somebody does that, everybody's drunk. They don't realize Ah, look at that. That old girl got her stuff tucked in. (laughs) don't matter. But when you're in church, that's funny stuff. But church is an awesome place because things happen in church that doesn't happen anyplace else. Like, if I were to go through the audience and ask people, we would hear over and over and over again about people having that one day with Christ. One day that you can't get in the grocery store. One day that you can't get at a ball game. One day that you can't get in a school or a classroom. Because things happen in the house of God that don't happen anywhere else. Like children and students are going to learn to worship God here. They're going to learn to live for Him here. They won't learn that at school. The house of God is where they learn to experience God's will and plan for their life. I grew up going to church. My whole life has been shaped by the house of God. And whether you grew up in it or came later in life, most of you are just like me. The house of God has been the gate of heaven for you. It's the closest thing to heaven that you'll ever feel in this life. I got baptized in the church. I learned the scriptures in the church. I was called to ministry in the church. I met my wife in the house of God. My family values have been shaped by the house of God. I found lifelong friends here around the city and around the world in the house of God. My daughters met and married their husbands in the house of God. I'm telling you, I love God's house. There's nothing like the house of God. That's why. That's why David said it this way in Psalms. He said, I love the house where you live. Oh, Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Say it with me. Lord, Lord. I love the house where you live. The place where your glory dwells. See, there was a steady progression being made from Moses' tabernacle to David's. And both of them were tent-like facilities. And David's was only created because Moses had lost the Ark of the Covenant. And David... He brought the covenant home. And he put, Mount, he put the, the new house on Mount Zion and opened up the tent, the curtain tents and let everybody see the glory of God. It was movable, but now, but now God wanted a house. And so he put a house in David's heart, a house that would be built as a place for God's people together. And he told David, he said, you know, David, you'll not be able to do it because there's too much bloodshed in your life, but your son will succeed you. He's a man of peace. He'll build a house. But you've got to listen and read what, he's a, what he says about it. First Chronicles 22 and 5, David said, this is David, My son Solomon is young and he's inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Everybody say God's house. God's house. Ought to be big time. It ought to be beautiful. It ought to be precious. You don't need to have agendas in the house. Come on. You don't, need, you don't need to have quarrels in the house. It ought to be the greatest place in all the world for people to come and feel the touch of God in their life. It ought to be a place where they are anointed. It ought to be a place where they get a name change. It ought to be a place where God touches their lives forever. Amen, amen. So the third thing in my closing point here today is simply this. God's heart for his house is that it would be of great magnificence and fame and splendor. The King James Version of 1st Chronicles chapter 22 says the house should be exceeding. Say exceeding. exceeding. Magnifical. magnifical. That's the first time I ever saw that word particularly, magnifical. But it was a word that described how great God wanted his house to be. How awesome God wanted his house to be. I want to thank all parents that bring your kids to the house of God. I want to, bring, I want to thank all kids that come to the house of God without your parents. I want to thank all parents that even though kids have rebelled and walked away from you, you still come to God's house. There's answers in the house of God. You hear me? There's glory in the house of God. There's healing in the house of God. I want to thank everybody. Whether you're supported or non-supported, I took a young man to lunch the other day, and he looked at me, and he said, Pastor, I need fellowship so desperately, and he's here today. And I hugged his neck, and I said, Son, if we have to get a burger every day of your life, I'm going to go get a burger with you because we're going to have fellowship. We need fellowship in the house of God. We need people that will reach out because this is the house of God, and it is the gate of heaven, and it's a place that is exceeding magnificent in God's sight. You can't make it any greater than exceeding magnificent. It exceeds magnificence. When God people start to see God's house like God sees it, it becomes an irresistible house. A house that nations flood into. A welcome mat is rolled out. Everyone is welcome. Everybody's accepted. We may not approve of lifestyles, but everybody's a part. We need everybody to have a chance to meet Jesus in the house that is magnificent, exceeding. Amen. 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 The life of God is flowing to touch hearts and change lives. There's an eagerness to be in God's house and to serve in God's house. We want the best for God's house. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We want to see it magnificent and known and talked about in the streets, in coffee shops, at offices, in the radio, magazines, television, newspaper to build a house for the Lord. To champion the cause of the local church, to encourage ourselves in the Lord, to inspire this vision of a magnificent house, of making God's house famous, to encourage congregation and church leaders locally and around the world, to see a move of God in our students, to see them impacted in such a way that the generations to come will love and build a house of God. And I I did the last two weeks a message on one generation away, and I'm not through with that. I want to pick that back up. We're going to go at least a couple more weeks in that, but I want to preach this today. Churches deal a lot with a lot of opposition, a lot of discouraging comments, a lot of anti-church attitudes, bias against us in government and in the media. Churches have been stereotyped based on people's preconceived ideas and inaccurate assumption of what the church is, but I'm here to tell you we must do three things. Number one, we must celebrate the church. Everybody say, let's celebrate the church. Let's thank God we have a place to come to. Let's thank God we have a place to come to. Let's thank God we have a place to come to. Number two, we've got to encourage the church. Everybody say, encourage the church. Encourage we need to encourage the church. Turn to your neighbor and say, I encourage you. You're the church. Amen. And number three, we must lift the church. We've got to lift the church. How do we do that, Pastor? I'm going to talk to you about it because we must have God's heart. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.